Hey, this is Nate Burke from The Out Circuit, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. What would you say you do here? Have a good time all the time. Dominate. Who's got it better than us? Nobody! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. I want you to be realistic. What do you love about music? Man, being realistic. As the story grows. I always want to be part of a small rebellion. You got this, Travis. Make him wait for it. I have been the host, um, uh, but on the the podcast. Well, how many hosts? Are, well, how many hosts have there been? <laughs> there was a host before me, and it's okay. Not a long story between the two of us, but um, there was a host before me, but he. Um, <laughs> uh, he talked to both Jason and Shelby. Uh, ah. So you are you are now the third member of that era, Frodus. You complete the trifecta wow. of that era, Frodus, on the show. So Excellent. congratulations. Um, yeah, thanks. I need to go back and listen to those. I try to catch whatever those guys do, just because they're they're usually really funny or some something interesting comes up out of it. Yeah. So I'll probably reference stuff from Jason just because. I have personal connection <laughs> to Jason more than Shelby. For, for um, sure. Totally. And Jason's uh, stories, like a lot of times when I listen to stuff, especially about Frodo's tours or whatever, I kind of, it, I'll kind of compare it up against whatever my recollection of it is. And I usually think like I'm too, I'm probably downplay things. He's so much of a, of a he's just such a great storyteller, you know, but it's funny to think back and go, was that actually accurate or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, right, right, right. Um, so there are so many things I want to talk to you about um, because I, uh, you sent me the new record and I listened to it and it's phenomenal and I want to spend some time on that. Oh, and thanks. I love like Pierce the Empire is one of my favorite records and you're on two of my favorite Frodo wow. records. Um, but we'll we'll just we'll just throw it way back. I kind of just assume you're from the DC area because you're uh, yeah. is that correct? That is correct. Actually I think I am and not to be too specific, but I'm the only Frodus member that's originally from the DC area. So is that my parents correct? Yeah, because Shelby was born in, you know, Romania. And his parents oh, I didn't know that. to yeah, uh, that, that's something you should talk to him about. It's a really interesting story. And I, I don't oh, want to butcher the details or disrespect, you know, his family story by getting it wrong. But um, 
Yeah, his whole family has a really interesting story. I mean, they they basically were, you know, fleeing. They're trying to get out of a bad situation. So um, I think he was really little. He might have been just a couple years old. In fact, his name, his legal name was Sherbon. And when he came into the United States, I don't know how true this is. I'd have to ask him. But the story I remember was that the person with immigration was like, uh, no, Shelby, you're Shelby. Like, as if that's like it. He, he Americanized his name, and that's just what he went with from there on. Yeah. But, like, his birth name was Sherbon. So, there you go. But, and then Jason was from Florida, and I think he moved there. He might have been, like, 14 or something. But, uh, my, yeah, my, but my grandparents and my parents were all born and raised in the D.C. area. Where, where exactly in the D.C. area? Um, I was, well, Silver Spring, I was actually born in Georgetown, so actually in oh. D.C., but, um, you're, not... You are born in Georgetown, but from, like, Silver Spring? Well, I, when I was first, yeah, when I was first born, we lived in Silver Spring, and then I lived in most, pretty much from kindergarten through, you know, graduating high school, lived in McLean, Virginia. I don't know how well you know the area, okay. but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was born uh, in Rockville and lived in, like, the really? North Kensington area for the first part of my life. Yeah. Oh, okay. And you're in – are you in Philadelphia now? Is that right? I'm in Philadelphia now, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I yeah. – yes. But in short, yes, I'm from, from the D.C. area. I moved out to Seattle in 2004, which is crazy. It's been that long, but, yeah. Uh, what got you into music? <laughs> oh, man, that's a tough one. So I, I think, you know, when I, when I, gosh, I, I think I was into music like as a kid, probably like most people. And then there would just be some stuff that would jump out to me. Probably things started to kind of take hold, maybe a little more when I was like 10 or 12 years old. And I started with the usual, whatever top 40 things were at the time. So in the okay. 80s, I would listen to like Duran Duran or something. And then, you know, you would find your way. And back then, of course, you just kind of found stuff. So I, it's a tangent, but my sister ended up with this mixtape and she's four years older than me. And she ended up with this mixtape that somehow I just took, I just took it from her room. Because I was hungry for anything I could find, you know, any kind of music. And yeah. um, there was no label on it. There was no list track listing. And uh, it was some guy in her high school had made it for a friend of hers. I never found out who the guy was, but he had, like, the coolest music taste. And it had all this stuff like Joy Division, the Smiths. Um, I think it had some you know, like New Order, Cure, and I'd never heard any of these bands, you know. And so yeah. I just consumed, I was just listening to this tape constantly. And I would take it into record stores, and I'd play them. I'd go, hey, put this tape on. And and I would cue the song, and I'd go, who is that? And they'd be like, oh, that's Joy Division. And I'd be like, okay, cool. Do you have any Joy Division records? And that was kind of how I started piecing this thing together. Because some of the songs jumped out to me more than others. You know, Mint Joy Division was one that just became, like, a huge band for me in terms of pivotal. 
being pivotal. Yeah. There was some other stuff like Echo and the Bunny Man and some punk, punk stuff, you know. But um, there was something about that. I, I think early on I was really into sports. I was really into, like, baseball. But I just didn't – it didn't click. Or there was something about it. I was never particularly good at anything, <laughs> you know. And so right. I would start to – you know, I was like, if I could have been a baseball player, maybe I would have, you know. But um, I started listening to music, and it really resonated with me. And it kind of, like a lot of people, I think it became a kind of a retreat or a, a solace, you know. And yeah. there were these moments. I think anyone that truly, like, really loves music on a deep level has had these kind of moments where, you feel like somebody understands you. You feel like you hear something. And it's not just the top 40, oh, that's a nice moment, but it's like a soul moment, you know? And mm-hmm. I started to just have more and more of those to the point that I thought, maybe I want to do that. Maybe I want to pick a, a guitar. Actually, my first, the first instrument I wanted to play was drums. But I'm basically, to this day, I'm a frustrated drummer, basically. (laughs) And which I actually think kind of plays out in this new record, which I can get into. But um, I live in a townhouse and my mom wouldn't let me have drums. So I was like, all right, well, my second choice is a guitar. So, you know, I convinced them to buy me some cheap you know, like a Squire, like a Fender Squire Stratocaster, and then just kind of start playing. And that was sort of the beginning of it. And, I, you know, Shelby and Jason and I, and some, you know, other guys in the area, like Mike Scheibom from Darkest Hour. There was those guys in Majority Rule. There's a bunch of different bands. We all hung out at this record store called Record Convergence. And that's just where I would just go religiously. And I would just you know, pour through. I'd pick up records just because I thought the record, you know, the, the cover looks cool or it was in, on a certain label. But it was also just where I met a lot of people and started mm-hmm. to really diversify, like, my influences. But I, I would literally bring my guitar in there. There was a guy who ended up being a really good friend of mine named Anthony who we did a band together called Real Cool Rain, which is before Frodus, but... Um, I would bring my guitar in and just be like, hey, teach me some chords, you know, into the shop, you know. So that was kind of, you know, I just started taking that path and then it just kind of steamrolled or, you know, kept going from there. I think that as opposed to a lot of the people that I was around, I really wasn't into the punk thing. I was much more of a, into like, you know, My Bloody Valentine or, you know, Space Man 3 or some of that kind of more, um, I guess, ambient or shoegazer kind of stuff at the time. And then, um, but those were just, the only people I knew that were serious about doing music tended to be in these punk bands. So that was just who yeah. I tended to know, know and hang out with. Yeah, it's interesting that you reference Joy Division right away as like a band because I don't think when I listened to the Out Circuit before, that I go, oh, yeah, there's a Joy Division influence here. But when you say that, I go, oh, yeah, I totally hear that in the music. Right. Which is interesting, well, which I get. There's something that you can't replicate about that band. Like, right, anyone right, right. that's tried, it just, it's like, but it's, it's almost so in there, it's like putting salt in food. It's just, it's just there. 
And I think yeah. part of what I really, I still like about them, I, I almost feel like they didn't really know what they were doing. They were just doing what yeah. was natural. And in that, there's something beautiful. And I think what's, what was struck me about it, even from a really early age, is there was something scary about it. It was like, not maybe that's not quite the right word, but it wasn't your usual music. Like it was dealing with some heavy stuff. It had, you know, this this um, atmosphere that seemed, you know, I think a lot of people just won't approach it. They won't approach making yeah. music like that. And it, it it really didn't feel frivolous. It felt like it was in a completely different genre. There's a lot of other bands like that, but um, when you're when you're when you're growing up and you just kind of hear whatever you hear. You know, every once in a while, something will will creep into popular culture, or something will creep into the radio that's got an element of that. Um, mm-hmm. And Joy Division actually was one of those. I mean, when you'd hear like "Level Tears Apart," and you, I still hear it, you know, in certain places, and it's like, gosh, that's so crazy that that song um, kind of you know became part of the you know popular. I don't know. Right. I guess it's still a subculture, but that you might hear it at a grocery store. Right, or it's been covered in various capacities where you want to look into that. <laughs> I was just thinking about covers like that where the every you, have you ever heard a cover every once in a while and you're like, these people don't understand what the song is about. Like at, at all. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like it's, yeah. it's like completely puzzling. Like we listen to the same song and you walked away at, like an idiot. Like I like how there was a you ever listen to Church? Have you ever heard that band? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, the, their big song, what's it called? Under the Milky Way? Yeah, um, yeah, Under the Milky Way. It's a, it's a really fantastic pop song, really well-crafted. There's a great layer of, like, atmosphere to it. Um, the lyrics kind of match. And there was a cover of it that came out, maybe it's, like, ten years ago now, but relatively recently. And it's just a pile of crap. It was like they took, it's the same chords, it's the same melodies, it's the same lyrics, but it sucks so bad. And it's like, how how did that happen? Like, how was it that they liked that song and were like, you know what, guys, we really dig the song. Why don't we just suck all the life out of it? What do you guys think? <laughs> you know, it's like, that sounds good, man. <laughs> but I've heard, that kind yeah, of stuff. I've heard a bunch of covers like that where... Yeah, they clearly don't get the vibe of it. There was uh I don't remember, is it Crazy Town that did a cover of Refuse New Noise? Did you ever hear that? Oh, it's a, oh it's an, no, I it's, haven't heard that. No. Oh, it's an abomination. So I mean, I, don't, I, I, don't, I shouldn't even mention it, but I was to say <laughs> I want to look things. it up, but I also don't want to hear it because 
that's such a great song that I don't want to ruin. <laughs> no, it's it's. I mean, only in the kind of jaw dropping like, what's wrong with the world? If you're if you're ready for that, then absolutely. <laughs> oh man, sorry. What was, oh, I forgot what the original question was. Oh, it was about getting into music. It's it's fine, and I think we just jumped off of talking about Joy Division and like mm. you were talking about something like dark in their music and I like I get that especially like when I discovered Troy Division like Ian Curtis had passed away and like that adds an extra layer of like something to the music that feels deep and dark like same when you listen to uh, Elliot Smith now right like oh like, yeah for sure oh my gosh these songs like you're just like oh my somebody needed to help him out right <laughs> like no for sure I, I actually have been thinking about that a decent amount recently, like and having some mixed feelings about, you know, even liking that kind of stuff for the same reason you mentioned where it's like, is it, is it, is there something, um, voyeuristic about it? Possibly. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that if I'm honest about what, and I, you know, it's interesting coming back into doing music after a relatively long period of time and, being a little older, hopefully a little wiser, but I think one of the things is what is it that I want people to get out of it? And I, I you know, I, I could talk about that or think about that a lot, but if I'm honest, I do think part of what I've seen, what I hope and what I've seen my music resonate with people is people that probably do struggle with depression, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't want them to walk out feeling hopeless. What I want them to walk out with is what really good music did for me, which is to be like one, you're you're not alone, you know, and and two, it can be it can be a gift in a way, you know, like even the sheer act of creating music out of that, and like turning it into something beautiful, you know, that's just one example, but like, um, so I think that's part of what's really sad about Elliot Smith or Ian Curtis or you know now even you know Chris Cornell, I mean. Yeah, um, a bunch of you know that one. That one really shook me up because it was kind of like I mean he was close, I don't know if he was fifty. It was probably close to fifty. You know, and you think, well, he kind of made it. You know, yeah. I mean, he he had that he had that wonderful balance of doing something that was artistically viable and interesting and great and commercially successful. But um, you just never know what somebody's struggling with, but. Anyway, so I, I, I think that just because that is something I've struggled with, you know, just to be candid, it's like um, it comes from that space and trying to think through, like, I want somebody inevitably to walk out with some hope. But I think if somebody – what I found is if, if people who haven't genuinely struggled with depression or some some kind of form of it, there's certain types of music they might not really resonate with. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I know that's so, kind of a broad sweeping thing, but I think for some people, music just does not serve that purpose. It serves some kind of more functional, like, I, I want to dance at a wedding, or, you know, I want to, like, get excited, <laughs> or whatever whatever regular people, you know, listen to music for. But the idea that it can be therapeutic in a different kind of way you know, it just might not be the case for some people. Yeah. 
Yeah, so maybe from that I'll jump forward a little bit because I feel it was uh, Jason on some other podcast who mentioned uh, you had come to to faith in Christianity like post Frodis. Uh, yeah. That play, does that play into this mindset of what you want music to be? And maybe maybe broader, how did you come to faith like post Frodis? Well, those are two pretty big questions. I mean, yeah. one is, yes, it's true. And it, I mean, and it plays into everything to some degree because right. it's, it's a worldview, you know, it's a mindset. Yeah. Um, I think that it's reflected in, you know, each of the out circuit records kind of a, a different spot along that journey. It's a good question as far as like where it is now. I think that some of it is, just to be totally frank, is coming out of what ended up being a relatively toxic situation, you know, in terms of the church, you know, that I was involved yeah. in. And yep. I still, I'm still a Christian. I still, you know, but it, it definitely, you know, it definitely caused me to think about a lot of stuff or just, you know, and I think there's songs on the record that are directly or indirectly affected by that. I think part of what the album is about, and well, let me let me frame it this way. I think one of the mistakes I made, and I think I'm probably not alone in this, but is to say I was trying to find definitive answers to questions that some of which may not have or even necessitate definitive answers. Does that, does that make okay. sense? Yeah. So yeah. like to, to, so I think there, I think in, in, in the effort to be like, okay, that question is resolved, move on to the next one. It's, you can, there's a little bit of a slippery slope there to suddenly say like, to not just be as content with the search. You know what I mean? Like there's some danger in, well, I, th I feel like a lot of this record is basically about some being at peace with the fact that there are some answers I'm never going to have, you know, trying yeah. to find that balance of contentment um, mm -hmm. while searching. Um, but, it's you know, I'm not out of that phase. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens next, but I think part of this record was processing that. and. You know, I, that's a whole nother conversation. I mean, in terms of just like the process of getting there or the, you know, my experience with church. But yeah, I mean, I, I became a Christian at probably, you know, 25. And then, you know, ended up kind of jumping into it where suddenly I was, I was working at a church. You know, I was a pastor for however many years. And um, there was a lot of awesome things that came out of it and people that are lifelong friends, you know, et cetera. But it ended up kind of going south, like in terms of the church in general. Um, and there's a song. Were you at Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just saying that is yeah. like, saying that is almost <laughs> like saying you worked at Enron. You know, it's sort of one of those. <laughs> right, like, right. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's one of those things where I, I have, 
and just to be straight with you, it's one of those things that like I'll talk to people about and I'm not, I'm never trying to pull any punches about it, but sometimes I'm not sure where somebody might be coming from who asks me about it. You know, like I'll run into people who just don't want to believe that it was as screwed up as it was. You know what I mean? And like, right, right, right. Uh, that that can be a tough conversation, you know. Um, yeah. Or you know, from the from the perspective of, you know, I'm, I'm a bad person for having been involved in it at all, you know. So, um, and then somewhere in between, probably lies the truth. But I feel like if I were, I summarized it to a friend once who had no context, so a more recent friend had no context of any of that stuff. And they were like, well, I don't understand what was that all about. And the way I said it was like, it feels a little bit like there's a Confederate uniform in my attic. You know, like, yeah, I was in, I was in a war. I thought I was on the right side. And then one day I realized I wasn't, Hmm. you know? And so I, I still feel strangely proud of my service in a way because I had really good friends and I felt like maybe some good came out of it. But at the end of the day, the things that I set out to do, the things that I set out to to support or the, you know, trying to help marginalize people or trying to help, you know, whatever it was, they ended up getting usurped by some other kind of, just to put it like broadly, but some kind of more worldly ambition. You know, yeah. like in terms of numbers and in terms of budgets and in terms of, um, and it started to really feel like the church became at enmity with Seattle, at the very least, probably wider than that. Um, and that's not what I was about, you know. Um, and you get into something like that and you start thinking, well, it's going to turn, it's going to change. And then you get little glimmers of hope and then. But the overall indicators are, you know what? It's not. And yeah. ex- extracting yourself from that, especially when you work there, it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. So I never, I'm never trying to like put myself in a position of being innocent. You know, I, I'm definitely not. But um, I also feel like that experience is something. It's one of my, I hope this makes sense. Um, I have regrets. I have things that are frustrating and, and um, even painful to think about, but I wouldn't trade that experience either because I have gained so much from it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was I was not asking to, like, try to drag you down or, like, talk. <laughs> Talk no, not at all. About that, it's right? just one but of those like, things that's like if somebody, as soon as somebody says Marcel, it's like, oh man, how long you got? You know, like it's it's it can it can go on for for quite a while. It's hard to it's hard to summarize. Right, right, right. Because like whatever my personal thought, like uh, Jeff Becker was on this show. I've heard like oh, Matt yeah, Ford yeah. talk about that. it. Uh, Dustin Kentru, who worked there, like the whole gamut of, like, a whole range of people who, like, oh, yeah, totally. are, are respected and loved who all ended up at this church, and you're like... Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's like, how did this creative group of people all end up at this church? 
It's like there had to well, be something there that was appealing that like just got you twisted just, and and went so wrong, right? Totally, and and you just named part of what's appealing it was Jeff Becker and Dustin, and you know right. a lot of other people that you know, like I love those guys. You know, I love there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a bunch of people I worked with that I love. I'll love till the day I die. You know, and I wouldn't have met them or seen them under difficult circumstances probably any other way. Um, but it, that's kind of why, again, that Confederate analogy is like almost the closest thing I could, or maybe Vietnam or something, you know, or, mm-hmm. and that's not the disrespect real, you know, combat veterans. I'm not saying it's at that level, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's, but I mean, that's part of, there's a song on a record called Wave Man, which is basically analogous of that kind of experience. And it's it's really, I mean, that one is, if you read the lyrics to that song in light of what we just talked about, it, it'll it probably make a little more sense. But the the idea is that, I mean, Wave, Wave Man is the literal translation of the word Ronin, so wandering samurai. But if you trans, yeah. translate that from Japanese English, it, it literally means Wave Man. And so the idea was when I got out of there, I felt like this kind of mix of being lost, that there's some, there's some loss there. You know, there's, there's friends that I don't see anymore or, and some of them ended up being cowards, you know, like Mm -hmm. some people really ended up sucking when, when push came to shove and some people showed like Dustin, he showed amazing character in my opinion. Um, but, but it's also time to move on. It's also time to kind of go forward and it might be more on my own, you know? And I, I think one of the mistakes that I made was, and I hope this is, maybe it's, I don't know how clear it is in the lyrics, but it's being too reliant on somebody else's authority, you know, being too reliant yeah. on whether or not somebody, um, you know, where did I find my value, you know? And that's, you know, that's humbling. That's embarrassing, you know, but it's a, like I said, it's a lesson that I'm not going to repeat that mistake, you know, and I feel like I'm significantly wiser for it. Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate you sharing about that. I, yeah, I don't think I realized you had, you had been at Mars Hill and, um, Oh yeah, man! I worked there for a while. Definitely. Yeah. I did you do a stint at Tooth and Nail too? Did you work at Tooth and Nail, or am I making that up? Were you at Mars Hill? No. Oh. Yeah, no, I didn't work there. But funnily enough, Tooth and Nail is actually on the second. I work on the third floor of a building, and their office is on the second floor of the building. Okay. Cause so you, everyone, every once in a while, I'll still run into Brandon. Okay, what's up?
let's back way up from here. <laughs> I know we jumped way ahead with that, but um, no, nah, so real good. cool, real cool rain. Was that your first band? Well, maybe the first one worth mentioning. <laughs> there's some there's some proto stuff in there that never released anything that was probably really bad. But um So do you have do you have a good yeah. band name in there? That's what I want. I want the band name. Give me the yeah. terrible band oh, name. Oh, absolutely. I, I Suede Chicken. Suede Chicken. My oh my god. Suede. Yeah, it doesn't get much worse. It doesn't get that's much really, worse than that. That's really it's great. Terrible. So oh, we man. were like, we did a battle of the band. Oh my gosh! So I I ran into this guy. There was a bar in Seattle, and the guy made a bunch of cocktails, kind of like artisan cocktails, whatever they call it. You know? Okay. Yeah. And he he messaged me, and he's like, "Hey, I made this whole menu of cocktails over the next month or two, and it's all it's all themed off of the last Brodus record." I was like, what? You know, and so he sent me a picture of the menu, and it was all this stuff like Year of the Hex or Born Without Wings or just like lyrics, or you know, and they would be like these really elaborate drinks. And so I I arranged to go. I was like, this is, wow, this is really cool. And I posted something, and I kind of invited some people to come. I think I posted something publicly, too. I was like, hey, I'm going to be at this bar. This guy is making all these produce drinks. Anyway, this will come full circle, I promise. But so I go, and, and, you know, mostly it's just friends of mine. And then a couple just people I didn't really know showed up. And this guy walks up to me, and I can't remember his name. But he was like, hey, you know, and he started, and he started talking about all the stuff like he had seen Real Cool Rain, which is crazy. We didn't play that many shows. He'd seen Frodis, and he had seen Suede Chicken. He actually was at a battle of the bands that we played, which oh was freaky. I mean, I was probably 15. You know, it was at, like, a, the old Firehouse of McLean or something. And um, he ended up being really cool, but in the first minute, I thought this guy's going to, like, shiz me or something. Like, it just was, like, <laughs> just kind of weird. Like, what? Are you, like, some, like... I don't think my mom has seen all three of those bands, you know, like, so <laughs> right. that, but he ended, up, he ended up being really cool, but there, there you go. So somebody had actually seen it. I mean, uh, yeah, I feel like real cool rain. Somebody posted that. There's an old school tooth and nail Facebook page and somebody posted that recently. And that's like, I just posted that right it actually. Oh yeah. It was you. Oh, maybe somebody else did, but no, I was, I posted, I, there was a, uh, I set up a Bandcamp page probably yeah. a few years ago just so that it was up there. And then I posted something on the Out Circuit page just because I was like, oh, you know. And honestly, aesthetically, I think a lot of people might like it because it was te- it, it was a little more, you know, ambient kind of, again, sort of maybe more shoegazery kind of stuff. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of really <laughs> bad songs, but I... I I edited those down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a cool record. So how did you uh, get involved with Brodus? Yeah, so I knew those guys from the record convergence thing just kind of around. And I was doing Real Cool Rain. I actually played a show, Real Cool Rain played with Brodus at record convergence. 
And um, they just were, they're just very dynamic, interesting people. You know, they were, um, they still are, but they, um, you know, I, I liked what they were doing musically. I didn't, I don't know that I loved it, but I was, it wasn't necessarily, you know, I, I wasn't listening to a lot of the same references they were, but um, I just thought they were super fun guys. And we started hanging out and we were just kind of, I liked that they didn't drink, you know, I wasn't really into that either. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. that, that matched up pretty well. And we would just were, and we would start swapping references and kind of like trading records and talking about X, Y, or Z. And I think it was about 1994. So I don't remember what show it was, but we were out front of a show and somebody drove by and like yelled, you know, all the punk kids hanging out in front of the show and trying to be dickheads or whatever. And I yelled at him. I just like screamed, you know, whatever it was, probably F you or something. And Shelby and Jason were, <laughs> they, I remember they were so impressed with the projection of my voice. They were like, well, we didn't know you could scream. I was like, yeah, I guess so, you know. And then I was kind of like the end of it. And then some point later, they had to have, you know, bass player changes and lineup changes and such. And then they were, it was like night, it was the summer of 1994. And they were like, how would you like to play in Protus? And I was like, well, I already got enrolled to college. I was going to William and Mary and like, I, I got to go, you know? And so like, all right, cool. And that was kind of the end of it. They got somebody else and they went, they went their way. I went my way. I, and then cut to, I went to, you know, a couple of years of college, I ended up going to University of Glasgow in Scotland for a year. Um, you know, kept in touch with them a little bit. And then when I came back in 97, the summer of 97, they were at that same kind of point again where they didn't have a bass player. And I was back and I really didn't have anything going on. And they were like, well, how would you like to join now? I was like, absolutely. And so... That was kind of it. I mean, I played a little bit of bass here and there, but I didn't even own one. Like, Shelby had a bass. He had a lens to me that I That's didn't so actually funny. own until Frodus was over, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And because um, I had, you know, been mostly a guitar player. But I think we just got along really well, and I think they – you know, you got a picture sort of living in a van with somebody. I mean, that's a huge part of it. Um, right. And I think for me, Shelby and Jason had actually done it. Everybody else talked about it. You know, Mike from Darkest Hour, Mike and John had done it too. But, you know, but actually getting out and playing shows and doing stuff, and they weren't ashamed about it. They weren't, like, trying to pretend like they were too cool to be ambitious. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that really resonated with me. So it was an adventure. I was I was scared. You know, I was very nervous about but that's kind of, I'm wired in a way where once I identify the thing that I'm afraid of, I tend to just go into it, you know, yeah. for better or for worse. And so yeah. it was a, it was an amazing experience for sure. That's cool. I mean, life changing. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, you're on those last two. I mean, they did the seven inch with Liam, but uh, those last two photos full length, I mean, the, the bass yeah. riffs on uh, and we washed our weapons like those bass riffs are insane
part of it was, I mean, I'm, I'm still really, really proud of that record. I mean, I, I, I like Conglomerate a lot too, but I think mm-hmm. that I had been in the band. I mean, we wrote the first three songs on that record in probably the first two practices, you know? No, and I'm so sure. it was like, um, and I think I was trying to sound like what I, a little bit of what I thought it should sound like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like instead of, and then by the time we, we toured a crap ton and I think I started feeling more comfortable in, in, in writing, you know, and writing more of what I liked. And I thought it was, and I'm not saying I didn't like that, but, um, and I think Shelby and Jason were growing artistically too. I think honestly, if I did anything in that band, it was probably to help just push those guys. That was mine because I'm such, I'm a fan of both of them, you know, and I, I, I wanted to kind of push them to, you know, the edges of what, what they could do or what, you know, past what they've done before. And they both exceeded that, you know? Yeah. And, the, and I think that also then pushed me to be like, well, I got I got to write better stuff too. And I think also in that time, we played a lot of shows with bands like Botch, you know, bands like Refused. And it just, I think we all collectively were like, okay, this genre can take it up a notch. We're not going to do what those other bands do, but maybe we could do it our way. Yeah. And actually, I think that that kind of ties back into the Joy Division thing with thinking, I don't think we're ever going to play faster than somebody else. And we're not going to be spazzier than somebody else. But maybe what we can do is take this and make it a little bit more emotive, you know. And yeah. so that's kind of this amalgam of those things. And it was just the right time and the right people. Um, and there was, a, there was a lot of stuff going on, you know, that we needed to process. And I, that yeah. record is still a very orienting for me. Like if I'm going through something in, you know, good or bad, and I feel like, I don't listen to it a lot, but when I listen to it, I listen, there's a reason I listen to it, if that makes sense. And yeah, it kind of, for sure. it's it's like a reminder of like, okay, I can, I can do this, like whatever the thing is. Yeah. It's kind of, that's uh, kind of what wrong, was it like? but hopefully it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What was it like for you being signed to Tooth and Nail at the time? Um, it, <laughs> that was I don't interesting. Know. So, I mean, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I think that I felt like they were just, they were just super cool, super nice people. And they were very supportive, you know, from Brandon to, you know, our our reps or the A&R people or whoever it was. And, you know, when we came out to Seattle, played shows out here, um, and even before that, and there wasn't really... You know, DC can have a little bit of a click, or yeah. at the time, maybe it's still like this, a little bit of a click kind of thing. And I think we always felt a little bit like the redheaded step cousins, you know, to that scene. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I could I could talk about that for a while, but basically, it was a little bit refreshing to have somebody that was like, "Hey, well, let's try to sell a bunch of records," and "Hey, let's." give you guys some money to record an album, <laughs> you know, or, or um, we broke down in the, in the desert, in the Mojave desert and they bought us a van, you know, and it was just like, 
oh, we we could do that, you know. Um, and we were willing to work hard, and we were willing to go out on the road. And No, I just okay. remember at the time as a fan, like, being uh, in the D.C. area and, like, seeing Frodis as a local band, and then they're on Tooth and Down. I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, I mean, still, it, there's there's – I remember, you know, we we kind of had this thought that it was it was sort of amusing to us to think about Christian moms buying conglomerate international at a Christian bookstore, <laughs> right? You know, and there was a feeling yeah. that well, maybe we can sneak this in, you know, like yeah. maybe we could, you know, um, people that might not have exposure to a lot of stuff, um. And she the nail was never like never asked us about our content or anything like that, and it wasn't nefarious, but yeah. it wasn't anything that made a Christian either, you know. Right. And so, um, I mean, in, in a weird way, the idea when you break it down is it's still it's kind of ludicrous to, in a way. It it makes sense and it doesn't either. I think the thing that we would and I still kind of resist is. When there's rules implied, sorry, applied that don't need to be there. So even in the DC music scene, or let's say like Straight Edge, you know, there's certain rules that start to get applied. That's like, well, maybe those worked for you for a little while, but you don't need to enforce them on us. Or maybe it's time to mature out of them. And I think mm-hmm. that idea of being in a Christian band, or you know, making Christian music outside of the context of let's say church. Let's just say, you know, putting out music. It feels so limiting in terms of the content or whatever it is that you want to write about. You know, um, like, can you just write a song about <laughs> the moon or, you know, I don't know, World War One or whatever it is that you want to write a song about without trying to figure out a way to shoehorn it into some, you know, I guess, gospel-approved topic. So yeah. I do think it serves a purpose, but it was it's a very it's still a very interesting thing to think about it being a market. And you know, I think Tooth and Nail was trying to break out of it to some degree or try to put feelers out to get outside of that. And we were an effort in that direction. But I just think there were things, you know, um there was too much that they just couldn't control. And so how it was received, you know, and for a while it was super cool because we'd play with Refused or we'd play with Zayo or we'd play with whoever we wanted to. But, um, you know, I think at some point it just didn't, it just didn't match. Yeah, I think what Jason said was it was a great relationship, but they were doing like worship swing records at the same time. And it was like an uncomfortable <laughs> relationship where you were like, totally um, cool. we don't. We don't belong on the label, and they were just going to let you go. That is totally true. It's totally true. <laughs> and what's so funny about that is they're, you know, you'd meet people from those bands, and they'd just be, like, the coolest, nicest people. And it yeah. was, you know, super refreshing, super unpretentious. But, you know, we're not going to – we just weren't going to do that. And I think that's where Tooth and Nail, at the end of the day, that's where they were making their money. You know, yep. we weren't selling jack squat compared to that stuff. Right. So I think that, and they were very cool about kind of letting us off the hook. But yes. we also, the timing and the way that we did it was a little bit backwards, which is part of the reason it took so long for that last album to come out. Even though we mm-hmm. had 
you know, broken up. I mean, there was, before we did, there was talk about sub pop and stuff like that. I don't know how real that would have been, but that might have been a better fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, uh, was it, uh, The Earth is in Humming was out on a tooth and nail compilation, and then the record finally. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I forgot uh, about that. Yeah, but then, uh, who, who oh, did no, that record come out on? Uh, the Paramore label, uh, right? Uh, Fueled by Ramen? Yeah. Yeah. There was another one in between in there, which, I Jason probably remembers the details more than I do, but there was a label, I think it was called MIA, and they, okay. I think they, they put out a Darkest Hour record or something, but, they talked to us. They have. They gave us a contract. Jason might have even signed. I don't know if I did or not. And they went out of business. Oh man! And it was just like in the same week or something. And it was like, oh gosh. That's so amazing. and awful. Yeah. So yeah, it's terrible. I think we. I mean, recorded it in the it, like what the end of 1999, somewhere in there. And I think it came out mm-hmm. in 2001. So, I mean, it was yeah. like a year and a half or something. Which is, mm-hmm. I mean, that was so frustrating. Sure. With uh, Rachel, is Rachel your sister, your wife, ex-wife? <laughs> she is my wife. She's your wife. Yeah. She, yeah. She was on a uh, unsustainable lifestyle, right? Yep. Yeah, she was in beauty. So. Yeah, she's the vocalist on Lifeguard in Wintertime. Yep, that's her. That that song yeah. is so damn good. I love that oh, song I know. so much. I know. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. That song's so great. Yeah, I mean, we we've been married since New Year's Eve 2002. So okay. a little what is that? I always get mixed up because we got on New Year's Eve, but so I guess it'll be 16 years coming up now. Yeah, but um, we've got three kids. Um, yeah. So I mean, she's she and she she was on the last record too, the one before this. But I think that was, in fact, that beauty pill thing was part of, you know, the idea of being able to have her and Chad sing together again was kind of, yeah. you know, I, I was really excited about that idea, which is then what, you know, became Momiji Gavi. Um, so 
it was kind of a fun way of almost, you know, doing a beauty pill circa, you know, 2004 song, if that makes sense. And just kind yeah. of helping facilitate that. into the out circuit which is what you've been doing most recently um your third record enter the ghost is about to come out um the was it the second record uh pierce the empire um yeah that's my that's that was my favorite of the first two because that record I mean, oh my goodness um thanks man i don't i'm i'm yeah i'm I've tried to remember how I first came across that record. It had to have been a message board at the time because that's how you found out oh about gosh. anything. Um, wow, that's pretty cool, right? I, I, yeah, that record, man. I just remember because I downloaded both at the same time, or maybe it was because of Blue Joe Records. I don't know, but like, come out shooting and then across the light, those two songs, and then dusting Ken through on the contender. I mean, that whole record. Uh, Sean Ingram's on that record. I mean, holy oh crap. yeah, that <laughs> was that was fun. Uh, you know, like, and that was the fir- you know the first record was the, the idea was it was going to be more of a real band, you yeah. know, and it was and I went in the studio with basically a drummer and just tracked all the stuff that I had written, and that was pretty shortly after Frodo's broke up. And there's still songs that first record I like, but. I mean, I listened to it the other night, just kind of like, oh, I should, you know, and there's a few kind of like, I wish I'd done that differently or whatever, or I wish it was recorded differently. But by the time it got to the second record, I just accepted the fact that it wasn't really a band. You know, it was, it was going to be, you know, a Nine Inch Nails scenario or whatever with me and whoever. And so that opened up the possibility of like getting some guests, more guest singers. Um, Sean was an interesting one because I don't even remember how I, I just thought I, I did that track and I knew Sean, but I never actually met him. It was, <laughs> I did a band, a fake band that didn't really end up getting started. It was me and Ryan Clark and Don Clark and Matt Johnson called oh, yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that that track that's been on YouTube that has floated around for I mean, like the last five years. I feel like people talk <laughs> yeah, about that podcast and that track keeps popping up on Facebook.
so funny. But we we wrote maybe like three or four songs and actually just tracked the music for that. And the point I'm getting to is originally the idea was Sean was going to be the vocalist. And so we were gonna we we were gonna send him the track and be like just do whatever just do your thing, and um, and then you know maybe put together an EP or something. And then just everyone was so busy and everyone had kids or whatever it was. It just kind of it just sort of fizzled. But I didn't lose touch with Sean, and so I was like, hey, I'm working on a record, and this song doesn't sound anything like, <laughs> you know. But I, I, anything like anything you've probably sung or screamed over before. But I liked the idea of trying the juxtaposition, you know. Um, and he just—he was—he was awesome. I'm still I love that track it's it's one of those tracks where people either love it or hate it you know um, I I don't think I've met anyone that kind of in between but um, yeah yeah and then I actually ended up meeting him finally which is it that's one of the really interesting things about this age and being able to you know share files and all that kind of stuff is how much you can do without somebody actually being in the room you know oh yeah yeah. But going into this record, I felt like it's almost like, you know, kind of inspired by, like, you know, Damon Alburn and the Gorillas or something, where, well, why not just have somebody else sing this, you know? Um, it's just a little bit more of an interesting dynamic. And Dustin is just somebody I've been friends with since um, forever. I mean, I, I met him when they were recording uh, Artists in the Ambulance. We just, they were recording with the same guy, Brian McTernan, who did the last, uh, Frotus record. And so Brian called me and was like, hey, there's this band called Thrice that's recording here and they like Frotus and you should come up and have lunch or whatever. Like, all right, you know. And they're just, I, I just saw them actually maybe three or four weeks ago, but they're four of the, like, the best humans I know. They're just incredible. Like, aside from being an, in- an incredible band. They're just four of my favorite people, you know, and in and, and Dustin in particular, yeah. he and I have just kept up really well. So tease out the idea of doing an actual project, but it, it usually just ends up like I played bass on one of the solo records and some other stuff along the way. But um, that's part of why I like doing it that way. It's just it's like like Ryan or Chad or a lot of these people that you end up collaborating with. If you set some parameters or like, I just want you to do a song, you don't have to commit to anything more than that. Um, it's just a great way of um, kind of doing something cool with your friends, basically. And I feel like yeah. I, you know, I, moving out here is interesting. I, I don't regret it. I think there's, I love Seattle and I love, you know, the people I've met out here, et cetera. But it did feel like it was kind of a, a reset 
And even in the, in the last three or four years, even honestly putting this record out and being able to work with Shelby on it, because Shelby's putting it out, it's been really awesome just in terms of like reconnecting with guys. I love those guys. Follow side roads for the curious souls unencountered until the witching hour has drawn life from none. How did you go off? If Wikipedia is correct, Pierce the Empire with the Sound came out 10 years ago. So this is yeah. the first record in 10 years. That's true. Actually, almost 11, because it came out in February of 2008. Okay, so, so yeah, beginning crazy. of 2008 versus the end of 2018. So, yeah, by the time this episode comes out, Andrew the Ghost will be out already. Yeah, it comes out the 7th of December. Yeah. So your first record in almost 11 years. It's super cool. I listened to it earlier today, and there were songs on that record like that gave me chills. Um, and I'm not, I'm not just wow. That that's, to, that's very, that's very flattering. Thank you. Like uh, the thread. Oh my goodness! Like that, that track was amazing, and the opening track. That like it's so good. Um, but it's so different from Pierce the Empire. It's like so much time has passed, but the vibe is the same. <laughs> of this like ambient feel, like. Uh, and I know there's a concept about. Tokyo in this record, so you want to talk yeah. a little bit about uh, the record? Yeah, sure. So you can direct me if I go off on too much of a tangent. I mean, part of it's because this has all been in my head for a decade, so it's really yeah. Inch, inch, and it's been forming. It's, it wasn't like it was done. It was been baking, you know, for yeah. ten years. So it's really weird now to have it out for other people to listen to. Um, and I really tried to make an effort this time for it to make sense and not be, you know, secretive or anything about it. But, um, so I think one of the criticisms, you know how like a lot you read reviews and, you know, half the time you're like, well, I don't, I don't know. This guy's just being critical or whatever. But there was some criticism of, yeah. of the, the second record that it sounded like somebody that was trying on a bunch of different genres. And I thought, you know, that's actually true. Like, that's a, that's a fair criticism that I kind of wrote it over a long period of time. I was into a lot of different stuff. And if I think through the records that I feel like are classics for whatever reason, like a whole record, there's individual songs that you like off of X, Y, and Z. But making an entire record that feels like a listen, I don't, I felt like I could do better. And like, if you put on a craft work record, you know you're going to get a craft work thing. You, you're in the mood for that. And yeah. so there was an intent with this to try to make it more like a, a flow between all of the songs, not sounding samey necessarily, but maybe being painting from the same palette, if that makes sense. And so yeah. that was one thing just aesthetically. Um the other thing that started to – at first, I didn't do anything for a few years, like at all. And I had thought the process of making Pierce the Empire with a Sound was such a magnificent pain in the ass that I was like, ah, man, I don't know that I want to do that again. You know, I don't know that I can do that. You know, I, I started, you know, before I had kids, I have three now. 
you know, um, yeah. there's just a lot of practical things. And it felt like, how am I going to get a studio? How am I going to go convince a drummer to set up, record, you know, all this kind of stuff? And I think there was enough breakthroughs in technology, or maybe they had been there before, but I was unaware, or they just got better, where somebody got me Logic, the, the, the mm. program, and yeah. I kind of just started messing around with it on, as a, on a lark. Like, I'll, I'll just sort of throw some stuff down and see what happens. And then I kind of just kept going, and I kept going, and I kept going. And then I started to get to know the tool better. And then it I literally, the first couple of songs I tried were like, this, this isn't my best work, but I'm just kind of messing around. And then at some point, it was like, oh, that actually, you know, something is actually kind of good. Maybe I could build off of that. And I would be doing it in these, like, sometimes, like, 15-minute increments or on an airplane or in a hotel or, you know, and I'd have to do it in headphones because my kids were sleeping or whatever it was. So it's one of those things where, like, you know, the obstacle is the way, right? Like, it wasn't by design, but the, the restrictions that I had ended up benefiting me to where... I started to just get over the idea that I was going to get five guys in a room and have a month to record. It's just not going to happen. So yeah. what can I do? And I also felt like I had gotten a kind of a rut in terms of writing on guitar or maybe even bass, you know, where um, I was writing things differently and that appealed to me. So it was really progressive. I just started to, chip away at it slowly and then I started to like it a little bit more and then I'd refine things X, Y, and Z and then at some point along the way the song um, The Floating World was the first one that I wrote vocals for and I would just I would just listen to the tracks you know I'd, I'd like walk around with my kids at the playground or something and I started to hear melodies you know like vocal melodies I was like okay that's interesting because I thought I'll just finish an instrumental record and that'll be that. And then um, I started to kind of write words down. It, well, actually, what I did was every I, I, the Tokyo aesthetic has appealed to me for a long time, like the Japanese aesthetic. That's always you know ever since I was a kid, both in terms of food, you know, music, literature, you know. And the trips I took there, including the the tour that Frodis did in Japan in 1999, was really pivotal for me. And mm-hmm. so I took this book of haiku, and I started to circle haikus that just jumped out to me for whatever reason. So maybe like one out of 20, you know, I just kind of circle. And then I would listen to the songs I was working on, and I felt like I'd start to pair them. Does that make sense? So I'd, I'd go, for some reason, this haiku matches this piece of music. And I can't necessarily understand why, but it just does. And then each one of those haikus ended up shaping the content of the lyrics. Interesting. So, like, I'm trying to think of an example. Um well, and I, I put them into, I put them in the, the lyric sheets. I'm trying to make it a little more obvious. So let's say Momiji Gardi, for example. There's a, the haiku goes, it's uh, a single leaf falls, and then suddenly another 
stolen by the breeze. So the first lyric of the, of the song is almost directly from it. Single leaf falling on the way, stolen by the breeze. And then I just kind of yeah. went from there. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I started piecing that together. When the words started to come, that's when stuff started to get a little more serious, if that makes sense. It started to feel like this isn't just a lark anymore. This is something I need to finish. And I don't know why completely, but something in me needs to finish this. And then, yeah. um, yeah, so it, it started to kind of piece itself together. I probably had 30 songs at one point. Not all of them were written or completed, but, you know, in various stages. And then I kind of honed it in and, you know, wrote lyrics for probably maybe 15 or 16 and then refined it down from that to basically 12. So I don't know if that answers the question. I feel like I could talk about that for a while. So <laughs> fire away. I think that I was in my time at the Leaf Agency actually really helped me with this is what's the story? What What's the story yeah. of the record? And the story of the record, I mean, I think there's different metaphors for different people, but it's a, it's a labyrinth tale, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the Greek archetype of the labyrinth, you know, the person that goes into the storm is not the same person that comes out. And so yeah. what is it that you're confronting and what are the different stages along the way? So, I mean, I could go into this in detail, but like the first half of the record, each one is a, is a point in a labyrinth and each one is a different challenge or a different temptation or a different fear. Um and, excuse me, the first half of the records, the, the first six songs, are doing those alone. I'm sorry, doing those with someone else. And then the second half of the record is being alone. Because part of the process is there are just some things that you you have to, at the end of the day, when you face the Minotaur at the, at the center of the labyrinth, it's just you. Right. Like your friends can get you to a certain point, your your you know, your spouse or whatever it is, but at some point when you really go to face the thing, whatever it is that haunts you, it's just you, you know, and all the things that you've brought to that point. And so there's a lot of that, you know, I mean I could kind of give you a high level of what each song is like the, the main theme, but um, that's kind of it in a nutshell. So that's why that song's called the Thread is because um, it's at the end, towards the end of the record, and in the Greek telling of the labyrinth, the hero falls in love with a woman, and she gives him a a ball of, like, thread. And that's how he finds his way back out. So once he's killed the Minotaur, he follows the thread back out. And that's... So that song is about what it is that has anchored me and brings me back home. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, that makes sense. No, yeah, that's so cool. Like, man, it would it would take way too much time to do a track by track breakdown, and and um, oh my god, like there's well, I feel like there's so much yeah. to leave just to the imagination. Like, this is one of those records where, it, it, yeah, anybody can take what they want from it. Um, For sure. And my hope is that people will, you know, in, in the best case scenario, it'll it'll push them along or whatever their journey is. You know, and each, each yeah. one of these might mean something to me. Um, 
you know, but there's a lot of themes of longing, of, you know, wandering, of, um, you know, fear, like the song, the one that Ryan Clark sings, um, Book of the Void, that's basically about fear. Like, and what is mm-hmm. it that it could do to you, and how do you move through it? Like, how do you keep going? Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Enter the Ghost, I mean, even the, the title track is basically about facing the Minotaur. Which inevitably yeah. is yourself. You know, mm-hmm. it's some version of yourself that might be ugly. My hope is that it's, it's, it's interesting enough at a, a, you know, a cursory listen to at least be enjoyable. But yeah. for people who want to go in deeper, it's, that's possible too. You know, it's a, I mean, that's a hard balance to strike, but it's what I'm after. Right. We'll see yeah. how well I succeeded. I feel like you accomplished that from my perspective, but I feel like I want to do that with every record. So uh-huh. maybe I'm a bad judge. You're, you're the you're the perfect fan. That's awesome. I'm, I'm well. I'm, I'm the nerd who's gonna like sit down with the headphones on and the vinyl after my kids go to bed and open up all the lyrics. But so. dude, me too, man. I mean, me too. Those are the those are the records that you know I grew up on and felt like you know. 100%, which is why, like, uh, you know, uh, it's a record for people like that. You know, it's a record yeah. for me. Um, but I hope by, you know, if it was just for me, then I never would have released anything. So it's kind of ridiculous to pretend like I don't care what people think about it. I mean, I do. But I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want the response to be. <laughs> Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never felt so young and alive as when I'm diving into a tomb. And now I'm learning as I listen along, and the wheels are turning, and I started a song.